Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. Take a look at the uh, next commandment, seventh commandment, says you shall not steal. And so let's read Luther's definition there as it is printed. We should fear and love God that we may not take our neighbor's money or goods, nor get them by false wear or dealing, but help him to improve and protect his property and business. So there is both in the meaning, the thing that God says don't do, and then there is the thing that God says do, all right? That's the idea of the commandment, and Luther really kind of brings that out in a really uh, great way. So for our opening discussion, um, I put before you a chart, if you will. It's not an exhaustive list, certainly, but what I would like to do in, in the form of kind of thinking about this is have you look at those situations and then put a check mark by those uh, items that you would say are uh, covered in that seventh commandment, okay? Whether it's a sin in terms of the seventh commandment. And then I also want you to, to, to consider how you would rank them in terms of how significant that is to you, all right? And so just take a minute to do that, and I'll remind the folks that are going to be listening to the podcast that will have this outline uh, for them and they can use this as well. And then we'll just kind of, we'll kind of walk through them a little bit. Okay. So just take a few moments to do that. And I will be looking for guilty looks on people's faces uh, as, uh, as you are doing that. By the way, no cheating. Eyes on your own work, please. Okay. You ready to kind of walk through them a little bit? Yeah, this isn't just, you know, I mean, this isn't exhaustive. Okay, so cheating on a test, yes. Commandment, break, the commandment is involved that. What about cheating on games that you play with your spouse? What about that? (laughs) You know, some of us think that if the rules are written down in the thing that, you know, it's probably that you ought to follow the rules, right? That's what you ought to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then what significance Is this one a big deal for you all? If somebody cheats on a test or if you cheat on a test, big deal, not big deal? A five would be a big deal. Three would be sort of, one would be, uh, what the heck, no, not that big a deal. Fives, mostly fives in this group. We have all the rule followers in here, so that's what it is, yeah. Okay, what about the next one, resenting or being jealous of your coworker's success? That would, is that the commandment involved in that? Not, okay, that's okay if it's not. I, some of these aren't. This, a trick, it's a, this is a trick thing, okay? Yeah. All right, but is that significant to you or not? Is that, is that something that you find you struggle with a lot, not much? Okay. Have you found other people might be jealous of your success if you're the coworker? Yeah, and so maybe that's what would bother you more. Okay. Making false or exaggerated claims on your resume. Is that a big one for you? Yeah? Would break that? Okay. And we hear more and more about that now. People fact-checking the resume, and you'll hear that. You'll hear somebody gets dismissed or demoted because they overstated something on the, uh, on the resume. Taking charity under false pretense. What about that one? Yeah, that would be stealing. Is that a big, is that a big five for you guys? That is a five? Okay. Gambling. Okay, gambling. Now, this is one is kind of interesting, right? Because there is an element of gambling that it fits under the, the seventh commandment, which is the idea that you're gaining something that you didn't work for. So that's where the, that's where the linkage would be, uh, at least traditionally, in Luther world anyway, traditionally, okay? But so many of us gamble. Like, what are some ways that we gamble that we would say is not that big a deal? Lottery is one, okay? What else? Raffle tickets. Yeah, now I mentioned church raffling down here, which is different than real raffling. Yes. 
Okay, yeah, that, that one, this one's sin, yeah. What? Starting a business is a gamble. Yeah, uh, some people would say farming is a gamble, right? They would say that, yeah, okay. So anyway, that's the linkage with the seventh commandment, actually, is that you're putting money down and maybe winning something back. Now, again, if you want to do it, and it's, you know, it's not that big a deal, I don't think, but it could be problematic. Uh, usury, charging outrageous interest on a loan. And kind of what goes with that is price gouging. We hear about that. Remember when, uh, which hurricane was it that came through and, and they shut down the refineries in Beaumont? Was that Harvey? And then everybody freaked out because the ga- they thought gas prices would go up here, and they did. And then they, they found out that there were some people that were price gouging. Yeah. And then we realized that our gas comes from Oklahoma. So, you know. <laughs> Then we all, we all sort of calmed down, and then it was okay again. Okay, what about this? Borrowing your sibling's stuff without asking. That is definitely breakage in the seventh commandment, let me tell you, definitely. All right? How many of you have siblings, and this is an experience you grew up with? Oh, not very many. We have a lot of only children in here? Or you just had nice siblings? Wow. I, I often wonder what that's like. Wow. Yeah. I, since I'm on the podcast, I'm not going to make any comment about that one. That would be, okay. What about this one? Copying Sunday school lessons to save money. That one is very common. Now, you can copy this if you want. I give you permission, okay? But I'm talking about stuff like the Sunday school materials that are copyrighted and printed and they're published out of CPH or wherever they're published. That, this happens. I don't think it happens here. It could. But I've, I've known of other churches where the budgets were tight. And because the budgets were tight, then the expense of that is a little bit of the end justify the means kind of thing, okay? But it still is uh, actually breaking the seventh commandment. So is that a big one for you, that one? No? Yes? No? Okay. Uh, This kind of goes with it too, claiming others' intellectual property as your own. So kind of goes with plagiarism. It's kind of the same idea, okay? It's interesting for me, it kind of depends on the situation you're in as to whether it's a big deal or not. That did not used to bother me until I published something one time. (laughs) And then when I started publishing things, I got really sort of hyper about, oh, I can't believe they're taking my stuff. So some of it kind of depends on like where you are in your life and what's going on. Uh, What about this one? Attending to personal business on company time. Oh, we have a few sheepish looks around here now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that stealing? Yeah. Now, again, if you don't have permission, you know, that sort of thing, that would make it more so like that. And I've noticed that some companies now, because they can track you so well, they would know, right? Kind of that curb there, they track your phone or they track your emails or they, you know, they triangle wherever you are, we've got you, you know, so that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, Church raffles. Hmm. The opinion is mixed on that one, isn't it? Do churches do raffles? You're familiar with that, okay. The smaller churches that I've served in my ministry life frequently would, not frequently, but would have that. It usually was the, uh, the ladies group or the quilters group would do something like that, and they'd be raising money for a particular project or something like that. Okay, it was kind of interesting to me how the things that you could do in the fellowship hall were different than the things you could do in the sanctuary or in the back of the church. And so where the, where people sort of the, you know, hairs on the back of their neck would get all pretty upset is if you move the raffle object from the fellowship hall to the, to the sanctuary, which would have been the back, you know, the narthex, the back of the church. So it was almost like one was a sin and wasn't the other one wasn't a sin. So I always found that to be uh, interesting. Okay, what about filing for bankruptcy? We'd say no, but could there be a way that you could be stealing from somebody by doing that? Okay, in what way? Yeah. There are businesses that filing for bankruptcy is a practice. It's a practice in some businesses? Kind of overextending and then routinely, yeah, so that way... 
Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now, sin and real estate. Yeah. Okay. Farming. No, I, I don't see it. No, I've just heard that. I've heard a little tongue in cheek from farmers themselves saying that the, there's a lot of risk involved. But, you know, that's part of farm life. Well, and if you, I guess if you're going into it, like if I was going to go into farming, that would be a huge risk. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Right. Yeah. It'd also be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so here's an interesting little thing that maybe you, ha- you did not know about, okay? In the Luther Church, Missouri Synod, if a pastor files for bankruptcy, there's a possibility that he might not be able to serve a church. That might be taken away from him. I say might because in, in earlier days, that was almost guaranteed as grounds for losing your pastorate. And the thought was there... It was more to do with your stewardship practices and how well you manage God's resources than it had to do with some like unforgivable sin or something like that. Okay. So that's, it's a pretty big deal in pastor world. And that's probably not the case in other places. Okay. But at least in pastor world, that standard is a little bit higher. Yeah, Doris. Chick-fil-A won't hire anyone that's filed bankruptcy. Okay. Chick-fil-A. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. What it has been, I maybe changed yesterday. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll take them off my list of uh, <laughs> part-time jobs that I need, you know. So that's, uh, but that's very, see, it's, it is kind of interesting that the weight that people give to that, and that's kind of what that is from a uh, pastoral perspective, at least in Missouri Senate. Now, what has changed that a little bit? is the fact that the realization that there are a lot of pastors coming out of college and seminary with huge debt, and then they go and serve a church that pays under 40000 a year. The little bitty church like maybe only has like 50 people. Well, he's never going to catch up to that, okay? And yet, in spite of that, there's a lot of pastors that won't do bankruptcy because it's, it's kind of the, it's almost like a moral sin or something like that, that it's a bigger deal. And it's not just the threat of losing your, your pastorate, but it's just also the idea of maybe the message it sends and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of conscientious pastors coming out of seminary, but they're struggling financially because it's the combination of high debt and, and it's not like it's their fault. It's just it costs a lot of money to go to a Lutheran seminary. And then when you come out, if, if, the, uh, if the income cannot support the maintenance of that debt, plus the five kids you have and et cetera, then it's, uh, boy, that's a real burden. And this is a real issue that our uh, church body is uh, addressing. Okay, so it's not like we're just not dealing with it. We're dealing with it, but we know it. Yes. Would by the same token, a congregation not paying his pastor um, a fair wage, would that also not be considered stealing? Yes. And in fact, we'll have some Bible verses to prove that back here. (laughs) Although if you want to look back there, it's not very uh, complimentary. The verses are not very complimentary. See, look at uh, 1 Timothy 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I wish it would just stop there. But then it says, for Scripture says, do not muzzle an ox <laughs> while it's treading out the grain. You know, it's like there's the, there's the point of comparison, the ox and the worker. And then the other one is if, you're, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. So, you know, the, the Bible isn't always very complimentary about church workers. So I don't, but no, you're right. You're exactly right. Sometimes though, the, the wages that the worker receives is partly due to the size of the congregation. So if the worshiping size of the congregation is, uh, is let's say under a hundred, it's going to be really tough for that church to afford a full-time pastor with all the salary and stuff and the benefits, the uh, insurance and disability and car allowance and all that stuff. It really stretches that. So sometimes that is the reality. My own bias here is that I don't believe that, this, that it ought to be allowed that a young new pastor goes to those churches in the first place. But the way that our call process works in Missouri Synod, 
sort of ends up working that way. And so then that's kind of a, that's kind of a, uh, a hard place to be if you're that pastor, because who will advocate for you in terms of an increased salary? Who's going to do that? And oftentimes you don't have anybody that would do that for you. And so then you're having to advocate for yourself, which then ends up kind of sounding self-serving and it puts you in a really bad position. So I'm part of a group in our, in our district anyway, that's trying to make some changes in that because I've been there. I know what that's like, but I also have a, a heart for the guys that are in that as well. So Hal and then who, yeah. Yeah. What, what's the cost today to attend, uh, to attend seminary? The cost to attend seminary? Hmm, I don't know. It, you, they usually do it off of, uh, it's a, it's a uh, private, private school, okay? So that tells you right away it's higher. I don't know, per hour? I, compared to other divinity schools, you know, oh, per year? Well, let's just say that, let me say it this way, is that, because you go for four years in Missouri Senate, one of which is your vicarage, which is basically you're a peon and you hardly get paid anything. All right. So you could easily come out of seminary with anywhere from a 50 to $80,000 in debt. And again, because it's, these are pri- this is a private school, it's not like it's a public education, in-state tuition, all those kinds of things. Yeah, Fred. Don't forget to mention that seminaries after you've already been to college before. Yeah, and so it's an eight-year gig, see? Now, there's, there's some guys that come in who are second career, and that's way more common now than it used to be. When Pastor Coleman and I went through, we just, you know, college and then seminary, and then you, you know, you go to work. But there's a lot of guys now that are second career. Many of them are already married, already have kids. There's, you know, so there's other factors that play into that. But this is not something that often people think about. And so when uh, someone is giving their full uh, time life, to church work, then usually that means is there's no other source of income unless they're independently wealthy or they had another job before. And so that's part of the reality, okay? Part of the reality, okay? Yeah, Max. So uh, with bankruptcy, there's two types of chapter 13 and chapter 7. Mm -hmm. Would there be an exception for chapter 13? Because that's a repayment type of bankruptcy. There might be. You know, I'm not as versed in that. And I think that Nowadays, because of the debt issue, I think there's a little bit more of the sense of that this might be the last resort, but I might have to do that, okay? There's just a little bit of that sense of, is it going to be my easy way out, or is it going to be, not that it's easy, but just that's the thought, isn't it? If I'm just doing it to avoid paying my debts, well, that's one thing. If it's another thing where I'm restructuring my debts so that I can pay it off over time, then that's what I do. Okay? Yeah. Um, small churches, are there any kind of guidelines about whether or not pastors are allowed to have second jobs to supplement their... Well, so this is kind of a, I would say sensitive area, but I think it's a, we're in a transition over that. Okay? So if, if a pastor... See, the, 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 part of the problem is is that in most churches, everybody wants their pastor whenever they want him. So if you have another job, which you could do, and some guys do that, and that's understood like up front, okay? So let's say you go, you go work for Chick-fil-A, okay? You do that. Well, the problem is, is what happens if there's a funeral? What happens if there's something that you would have to do for the church that takes you away from that other job. If there's no flexibility in the other job, if they hold that against you or they just say, well, we can't schedule you because we never know if you're going to be gone or not, which makes sense, right? Then you're stuck, okay? But a lot of different pastors find different ways to, uh, to make extra money to make ends meet. Uh, my grandfather, when he was uh, a pastor in South Dakota and then Nebraska, and Oklahoma, you know, it's the theme that kept moving south, okay, is they found all different kinds of ways to do it. And mostly it was grandma. Grandma was the entrepreneur in the family, and grandpa was sort of the supervisor, okay? So but grandma, she, they would, because they lived mostly in rural communities, they had a big garden, and so then they would barter. You know, they had a little underground uh, deal going, a little black market on beans and corn, um, they did that, and then they, uh, they, they developed the skill of tanning hides. 
So the farmers would shoot a bear or a wolf or something, and then they would bring the hide to grandma and grandpa, and then they would tan hides. Well, grandma would tan, tan hides in the, in the uh, basement of the, of the uh, house, of the parsonage. Yeah, there were all kinds of secrets going on in the parsonage that nobody knew about. But, you know, I mean, that was the reality. That was their reality, okay? And so it sometimes... That is exactly what people do, okay? Bivocational is way more common now. I'm bivocational. There's a lot of people that are. But there still is always the pressure of can you get away from the other job in order to do the job that you have to do if that job calls you away. It's easier for me to do it now because I'm an associate. But there are moments when... I might be particularly close to a church member who's, who dies. And then the, the thought, the sentiment is, we would love to have you come and do that funeral. We'd love to have you come and participate. And because of the way that my compensation is, is uh, structured, I can't always do that. And so then I'm always kind of aware that it probably hurts feelings a little bit. But it's just the nature of bivocational that's way different than if you're full-time, you're there all the time, and then it would be expected, and you would be able to do that. Okay? Does that make sense? All right. Well, maybe we'll actually get to our lesson for today. Yeah, go ahead. In the home church I grew up in, which was Missouri Synod, if there was anyone that was going into the ministry, our church helped support them. Some do. All right. Now, this is interesting. Some districts have grant money set aside for that. So in Texas, if you are preparing for church work or to become a pastor in the Texas, or you're coming out of the Texas district, there are foundations that have been set up by people that were very wealthy in the past. And then those foundations help fund. So that's a big part of my, my financial aid. That's what they called it. And I went, I went to school on financial aid was a big part of that was that I also worked a lot of jobs as I worked my way through seminary. Uh, so did Pastor Coleman and uh, we were fortunate. We were able to come out with, with minimal debt. Okay. So some of that is easier to do when you're single and not married, but when you're married and you have kids and you have b- the bigger thing going on, it's a lot harder to do that. So, but yeah, and some churches do that. But again, see, if the church is probably worshiping under 100, they're probably not going to. And so then there's, then, then there's the dilemma. Okay, there's the dilemma. Okay, any other thoughts about that? Okay, very good. All right, so uh, anyway... Uh, that's what the bankruptcy thing was about. Okay. What about refusing to give God a proportion of your earnings? Yes. Yes. And we'll look at Malachi if we get to that. Okay. What about gossiping or hearing gossip without challenging the speaker? How does gossip steal? You're taking away from somebody's life and reputation. Absolutely. Yeah. Stuffing the ballot box in support of your cause. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. The variety of sin going on uh, in y'all's life is amazing. Okay. What about uh, claiming your own will as God's will? You ever done that? To make your case, you just find a Bible verse that goes with it, right? Okay. What about this one? Slacking on a team or group project. That would be a 10 for me. I hate it when people do that, right? But yeah, that's where you're claiming the success without contributing to it. Okay, that's the idea of that. Okay, very good. Well, that was kind of fun to kind of look at it that way. All right, so let's go into the uh, scriptures here. We start with Ephesians 4 verses 1 and 2, should be 1 and 2, and then 25 down to uh, 28. Paul says, as a, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but work, must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. All right, so Paul talks, he starts out setting a rather high standard, don't you think? 
He elevates the standard by which you and I live our lives and what should inform our lives, not only in terms of how we behave like ourselves, but how we treat each other. And so he does that by saying, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. What is the calling you have? What does it mean to have a calling? What does that mean? Okay, there's a calling from God. Let's start with that. So what is the calling you have from God? When did you get that calling? God is calling. When did God, when did you get that calling? At baptism. Yeah, he called you to what? Be his own, right? To be his child whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. That's the calling you have. You and I are the beloved of God. That's our calling. So all he's saying is, we'll live a life worthy of that. If that's a high calling you have, which you do as a baptized child of God, then make that be the motive as well as the power to do that. And that's the beauty of baptism. Baptism isn't just something, oh, I'm so glad it happened to me and I have this piece of paper to prove it. I mean, you do have that, but that's not the importance of it or the significance of it is that it is also a power in you. And the power in you is to do things that you think you can't do, which would include these things he mentions here, like the part where he says, be completely humble and gentle and be patient, bearing with one another in love. This bearing with one another in love is important because in the Greek, what that means is bearing with one another, with one another's faults and quirks and irritating habits and the annoying things about that person when you're with them. Have you ever noticed it's a lot easier to do that when you're some distance away from them? Loving people from a distance. You ever, have, you, have you found that that works really good? Yeah, if you're a thousand miles away, it's really easy to do all that, isn't it? But what if you're in the room with them? What if you have a long history with that person? And all those things show up constantly, like a dripping faucet or something, all right? What he's saying here is, is that while you're with that person, in the presence of that person, that's, those are the things you're doing, all right? So then he says, put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Some of these we've looked at with some of the other commandments. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. What's the wisdom of that? What's the wisdom of following exactly what he's saying here? Mm-hmm. You do. You do. Can you say more about that, Tom, uh, personally, experience? Well, let it, let it go of those things, of course. You know, if you carry them through the night, you get up in the morning, you carry them with you. All those things you carry with you yeah. impact your entire they do. psyche and day. And they do. And the sleep, you could sleep, but it won't be restful. Because your mind is working on that thing either from a problem-solving perspective or just I'm irritated and we need to fix this kind of thing, okay? So that's, that certainly is what, what, what happens there. But how many of you found that you're dealing with a particular dilemma and you say, well, I just need to sleep on it? And so then you sleep on it and you wake up in the morning and you kind of know what to do. All right, so that's a little different than this. That's not, doesn't involve uh, anger so much. So one of the things that we might want to think about is not giving the devil a foothold when it comes to anger. And if you go down to the bottom of the page, there's some, some thoughts there about that. Because the way that we often give the devil a foothold when it comes to anger is that we allow the anger to become resentment. And you know, kind of the old saying, the funny saying about resentment is that you drink the poison and hope the other person dies. Isn't that, <laughs> have you heard that before? Yeah, that's really great. It's really great because you think about, oh, I'm so angry and oh, I'm constantly thinking about how mad I am at that person. And, oh, how he hurt me or she hurt me. Well, who's drinking that poison? You are and it's self-inflicted. You know, and then we can't figure out why the other person isn't, you know, getting it somehow. Well, it's because I'm the one that's uh, doing it. And so when you think about we feed resentment by doing three things, we replay and relive the old hurts. So whatever you, whatever you remember, whatever you recall, like you bring it to your memory, you're going to relive it. So it isn't just like you're watching a movie and going, oh, that's a terrible movie. You're in it. Okay. When you relive it. All right. 
And then rehearsing old grievances by telling other people about them. That's a great way to have resentment in your life, right? And then refusing to forgive. So some of those things are things that are self-inflicted that we do to ourselves. So to give some quick thought about how to diffuse your anger, one way to do it is to decipher what your anger is telling you. So I kind of come at this from the perspective of that sometimes our emotions are signals to us as to what we need to do or what is it that we need in some situation. And anger is one of those that can get your attention in such a way that um, it could easily tell you uh, some things. So visualize a baseball. I think that's very appropriate for the time of year that we're in right now, okay? So visualize a baseball, and if you have a hard time visualizing that, I've provided a picture of that on the next page. Yes. The, oh, look at that. There's a baseball right there. Have you ever wondered what a baseball looks like if you cut it in half? You don't have to wonder anymore because here it is right here. That's a, that's a picture of a baseball cut in half. But come on, haven't any of you in your life said, oh, I wonder what's on the inside of this. I think I'll take it apart. Have you ever done that? John, thank you. I, you and me, we have oneness here. Oh, golf balls. Yeah. Especially when you keep shanking it to the left and right. There's something wrong with this ball. Isn't that right? Okay. So you think about uh, what's on the inside of a baseball. This is what it looks like. Okay. So here's a way to think about it. What's the outer cover of the baseball made out of? Yeah, it's a cowhide kind of thing, right? And so think of that as the anger, if we're talking about angry, okay, being angry. So have you ever been hit by a baseball, those of you that have been around baseballs? Yeah, that's not pleasant. It's not pleasant to be around somebody's anger either, okay? That's the point. And if you take that baseball and you go, oh, I wonder what that feels like, and you rub it on your skin, what will happen to your skin? You'll rub your skin off. That's the same sort of thing. So, so the idea is, number one, don't do that, all right? But number two, that's what it's like to be around anger, to take your skin off. It's not a pleasant thing for you as the one who has it, as well as other people who are, uh, you know, the recipients of your anger when they're with you. All right. That's the first thing. Now, if you take a baseball apart, you peel all this back, what you'll find is tightly wound string. And that's, that's where the baseball actually gets its power. That's why you can hit a ball with a bat and it'll go, you know, 400 feet. It's because of that. All right. But if you think of what that is, in terms of what we're trying to talk about, is that the tightly wound string is tension or worry about something that maybe feels like you are having a hard time understanding or controlling. Okay? Have you ever found that? That what exacerbated your upsetness was really that you were worried about something but instead of thinking about the thing you're worried about, you're thinking about the thing you're angry about. Okay? All right? So if you unwind all the string, what you find is there's two things. Okay? And the picture sort of depicts it. There's a core, but the core is made up of two things. There's this sort of outer core, which we could say is disappointment. Now we're getting a little closer to what possibly is fueling the anger in the first place. Hey, have you ever been disappointed in somebody or in something and you got mad at them? Yeah, of course, that's what we do. Very rarely do we say, oh, I'm disappointed. Most of the time we say, I am mad, okay? And so if you do that, that's okay as long as you work backwards to figure out what is it that's fueling it. Okay, now the core. The core in a baseball, in real baseball, is made of cork, or leather, I mean not leather, but rubber, depends on um, what, if it's major league or not. But the core is, is yearning, okay? And that's where you want to get to if you're trying to figure out, why am I so upset? Why am I so angry? So what yearning has to do with is what is it that you needed that you didn't get? Or what is it that you didn't need that you did get? All right, so an example would be, and I'm sort of building a little bit on uh, Pastor Coleman's sermon this morning, all those kind of things that he said in the sermon, all right? So let's say that you want to share with somebody some feelings that you have about a situation you're dealing with. 
how does it make you feel if in the course of sharing your feelings, that other person goes into fix-it mode and comes up with six suggestions of things that you can do to fix the situation? How do you feel? Some of you will welcome it. Like two of you. (laughs) Two of you will welcome it, and everybody else is going to feel what? Yeah, you're not going to like it. Why? Yeah, because that isn't what you wanted. That isn't what you needed. Now, in defense of the person who goes into fix-it mode, did you tell that person that you didn't want them to fix it? You expected them to read your mind, and we know, those of us that have tried this, it, that doesn't work so well, right? Okay, so the, giving people a heads up on, I would like for you to just listen to my feelings, empathize with me, and no advice. That would very, really help a lot. Okay, so who said yes? <laughs> who said that? Yeah, okay. So do you see what I'm saying is that, that when this, see, this is the, this is the one that we have to figure out if, and sometimes if a person's angry, you can just address it with the tension and the worry. They might just be worried about something. And the worry is coming out as upsetness, but that's not really what's fueling that. But if you find that this, knowing this and addressing this isn't enough, well, then you kind of go down here to disappointment. Usually with disappointment, it means that there were some expectations that were unmet in that sense. That you thought it was going to be this, but it turned out to be that. Okay, sometimes that's what it is. But what I have found is, is that if you're willing to sort of explore this, what is it that I needed that I didn't get, or what is it that I didn't need that I did get? That's good. It, figuring out what that is can diffuse this. Okay? So that's just another way to keep the sun from going down on your anger in the sense that it becomes a destructive thing. And that's what he's getting at here, is that if I let that happen, I'm taken away from life, literally stealing from life. And we don't want to be doing too much of that. Some of us are really good at that. We don't want to be good at that, okay? We want to be good at adding to life for ourselves and for others. By the way, if you're angry with somebody else and you're trying to, make, uh, trying to be rational with them, what are they hearing in you? They're not hearing you. They're, not, they're hearing your anger, right? And when you're around people that are angry, what is your normal reaction? How do, you, how, how, how do you find people reacting to you when you're expressing your anger and you're being angry in, in their presence? Either they respond with anger or they retreat. Yeah, it's either want to get away from it, right? Or feel the need to... Uh, Uh, I'll see your anger and raise you, uh, you know, and so that's how things escalate. Okay. That's how things escalate. And so we always think, God, why does it always go that way for me? Why do people run away from me? Or why do people escalate? Well, maybe it's because on my part, right? I'm not thinking this through. I just immediately go into anger and stay there. Okay, so the idea would be that it's good to look at yourself. It's not just the idea of looking at the other person and saying, oh, they have a problem with anger. Well, they might, but I need to be able to look at myself. And if I can get away from it and walk myself through this uh, half a baseball here, if I can get to that, I'm in a better position for us to have a conversation about what it was that triggered the anger in the first place. Yeah, Max. So uh, how, how would you uh, contrast anger with confrontation? Because, you know, you, we, we, somebody gets angry at us, that we don't want to deal with that confrontation. Right. It's really uncomfortable. I know I don't. Yeah. yeah. So, come, you know, we try to pull away or yeah. make it go away quickly. Right. Uh, yeah. It's not good. <laughs> no, I know. So can we help Max out here? What, do you, do you know what he's talking about? That, you know, I mean, there's, there's a, I think the question would be, what's going to make it easier for us to hear each other? And then in hearing each other, we can come to some uh, solution of some kind that has to do with this. Okay. I might have to get away from that person who's angry so that I can think and breathe. But while I'm away, what am I doing? 
Am I thinking about, whoa, what a creep that person is, and I can't believe they did that. And then, so now I'm reliving everything, right? I'm, then I'm keeping myself in an angry state, a defensive state, and I'm not going to be able. But if I can, if I can get away, do, breathe a little bit, and then, and then get to this, it's sort of like I wonder what that person's worried about. I wonder what expectations were, were not met. I wonder what that person really needed that they didn't get, or what did they get that they didn't need? See, where I'm going to want to go is, it's kind of a walking myself through that a little bit in terms of curiosity or wondering. I guarantee you, I cannot do that in the presence of somebody that's mad at me. If somebody's upset with me, I get real quiet. That's, I just go in my turtle shell, and that's how I hang out there until which way the wind's blowing. <laughs> No, that's what I, I know myself. I know that's what I do. Unless I feel backed in a corner, like I'm in my shell and somebody's trying to get in the shell, well, then I probably become a snapping turtle then, <laughs> right? But that's pretty rare. I just, I just don't roll that way. I'm not, it's not, I'm not easily angered. I'm more easily shut down. But some people are like that. And so you want to make use of the time away. And you want to be productive rather than destructive, See, if I'm destructive, then I'm not adding to life. But if I walk myself through some of that, I can actually add to life. And then in, in that sense, I can get to the place where I need to be. Yeah, oh, we had a couple. Yeah, Jackie. Recently, I went through a real bad breakup with my best friend yeah. because of something like this. Sure. Um, and I was able to get to the yearning, mm-hmm. but that didn't help because I couldn't believe that what I needed the most, she wouldn't get. Right. And so that didn't help. Right. The part where you say the spiraling, uh-huh. that helps. Yeah. Because it knows, now I know why it hurt me so bad. Sure, sure. But as the other person where you want to forgive the other person, knowing their yearning helps. Right. But if it's a minor anger, I could see that helping. But if it's a really, really bad, mm-hmm. where you do know what you were yearning for, yeah. you needed it so bad and right. you didn't give it, yeah. that doesn't help. Well, actually what helps is forgiveness. But the difficulty with forgiveness is, is that while I'm still upset and my feelings are hurt, it's harder to forgive than it is when I'm not. All right? So forgiveness plays into that if you're, de- if, you're, if you're looking at your own anger, like, why am I so angry? Why am I so mad? See, that's, this is a helpful sort of way to, to kind of work it through and get to that place where, oh, okay, now I know what it is I needed or didn't need. And that's what you did. All right. But as I'm there, see, with forgiveness, I think sometimes the problem with forgiveness is like we don't do it. I mean, sometimes that's a problem. But also it's that we equate forgiveness with trust. And we think that somehow they're the same and they're motivated by the same thing. They're not. They're two totally different things in respect to why we do it. So why do we, why do we forgive each other? Because God in Christ forgave me, period. Now, often we'll say, well, I forgive you if you stop doing the thing you're doing that's making me so upset. That's, so, so now we're taking forgiveness that is unconditionally given to us as a gift, and we're putting conditions on it in terms of my extending that giftedness to somebody else. So I've rewrapped it, which is not what God wants us to do. Because see, part of it is if God did that with us, we don't have a case to make, Okay. So forgiveness is like love. Why do we love one another? We're talking about that in, in church. Why do we love one another? Because God in Christ loved us. So it's, it's the motive, but it's also the power behind doing it. It's hard to do it when you don't trust somebody. Now, trust is different than forgiveness. Trust is based on what? It's totally conditional. Based on what? Yeah, is somebody trustworthy? right? So part of the thing with your friend that who hurt you so deeply, when that person did not give you what you needed, you still have to do the work of forgiving that person in your heart. But is it likely that you won't be able to trust that person? Yes, because that person maybe is not willing to meet you at that point. Now, maybe that person can't. Maybe you can have limited trust, you know, with some boundaries and things like that, right? Right. Um, but forgiveness, that's where the work's going to be. 
The work's going to be forgiving your brother from your heart, especially when your heart is broken. That's when it's hard. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Uh, Carl, you had your hand up. I did it. <gasps> I love it when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying about, you know, the shutdown mode. That really is better than a blasting and taking a gun and shooting somebody mode. So but on the other hand, if you're constantly <laughs> shutting down, how does that, you know, that's not really the solution. So because maybe you're not hearing what that person is saying. It's not the solution, but it's a step toward it. See, it. What it is, is God has made our bodies to, and our brains to respond to different things, different ways. So some, you've heard of fight flight before. Okay. It's not a choice. You, you go there. Some people go into fight mode in that, and the adrenaline and testosterone and they're ready, you know, they're, they're become aggressive. There's other people that go into flight mode, which is kind of a, uh, uh, brain freeze is what I call it. Now I know that's how I'm built. I'm built that way. And that's why I am not an ambulance driver. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because if I come upon an emergency, what's going to happen? My brain shuts down and the person will die. I mean, that's just. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I, my brain freezes. I can't think of what to do. Okay. And certain conflictual or. Um, surprising or blindsiding, you know, all that kind of stuff just shuts my brain down. And so I have to go in my turtle shell and do some breathing Yahweh prayer. You don't have to do all that stuff to help me think and respond better, but it will not be immediate. So see, part of it is know yourself, figure out kind of how you have to do it. But while I'm away in my shell, I'm, I'm, talking myself through this. So you still have, you still have a responsibility in your shell to yes. resolve the issue that caused them. Yes. And so what does that mean then for the person who's not like me, who's more wants that we need to talk about it right now. We, I need to work this out. I need to get that out. Well, see, so you can see the dynamic of that person's needs and my needs, my ability to meet those needs are like, Ooh, they're like this. So what do I have to make sure I do eventually? No, before that. No, before that, I have to come back. I have to come back out of my shell and we have to reunite. But see, now, instead of reuniting at a 10, which is where we both were, you know, the person angry and me not, I mean, me scared. Okay, that's still a 10, right? Good conversation does not occur at a 10. It happens at a four. So how do you get from the 10 to the four? I have to go away. And I have to kind of walk myself through stuff and do breathing. Okay. But somebody else might have to do something different. So while I'm away, the other person is like freaking out because, oh my gosh, you're never going to come back. There you go again. We never get to talk about stuff. That's kind of what happens. So I need to be mindful of that person's need to talk it out and not stay in my shell for four days. I mean, Jesus only stayed in the tomb for three days. <laughs> You know, at least I could do that. But so part of it is, is working. And I, I've been working on this is how do I get myself out of my shell sooner for the sake of the other person? How do I do that? So it's not just all about me in that moment. Oh, my needs. It's also, you know, we're going to lean toward each other. And what that means is you can have confidence that I will come back and we can talk this through. Okay. But it's not going to be productive if I'm at a seven to 10 range. Because when people are in high stress, they only hear half of what you say. And the half they hear won't be accurate. And they will interpret whatever you say negatively. Because that's what stress does. So if I'm in high stress, I'm not listening very well. I'm sure not speaking very well. And I'm not being understood. But if I'm at a four... I have a better chance at that. So part of it is, is how do you make it easier? We need to make it easier. And so the way to make it easier is you, you kind of divide up a little bit, but then make sure you come back. Cause if you don't come back, then what, what will happen? The person that you're distancing from will pursue you. They will. And they have every right to, because you keep running away and you're not 
you know, dealing with it. Does that make sense? Okay. Wow. It's amazing that we did that. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at some other verses that uh, would be related to the, to the commandment. So notice he, he puts in there, don't steal. Okay. But work notice by the way, in, uh, in, in middle of the page here, what's the purpose of the work? At least as he describes it in, uh, in Ephesians that they may have what something to share. Oh, that's interesting. It's not just work for work's sake, or it's not work for self-promotion. It's not work so I can get a trophy or a big salary. It's not that. I mean, those are nice things. But what it really is, is that I can have something to give to somebody else. So there is that stewardship of, uh, of resources. Okay, let's look at uh, some other verses. Uh, Jeremiah twenty-two thirteen. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice making his own people work for nothing and not paying them for their labor. So this gets at the tendency of the employer to shortchange the worker. And notice this is out of the Old Testament days. So apparently this practice has been going on corporately for, uh, for quite some time. Uh, one of the questions that I just kind of thought about, because it's kind of a popular thing today to think about, is the idea of socially responsible businesses. Do you know what I'm talking about when I describe that? That's kind of a phrase that's used to describe businesses who don't uh, get their goods from, you know, like slave labor or they don't, they don't get their business from uh, like workhouses or things like that. So some of the issues with respect to uh, companies in America whose goods are made in, overseas where they pay somebody a, a mere pittance, not even close to minimum wage, and then that keeps the cost low and they ship it over here and then we're so happy to go buy it. So is that something that you give thought to? I'm not saying you should, but, I, but I'm just saying that that would be something that you would want to think about. I'm thinking more about that, too. I am. Yeah, Carl. You know, I talk about American Family Association or American Family Radio. There is a program on at 8 o'clock every morning, uh, financial issues. And everything he deals with is biblically responsible investing. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about right now. Yeah. So there is that sense of where did that product come from and who's getting ripped off Companies come and go off of his list. Yeah, I'll bet so. Oh, that's very interesting. Eight o'clock. Is that an AM station or? Yeah, nine. nine yeah, in the AM, it's 90.5. 90.5. Okay, thank you. That's excellent. Okay, all right. Uh, what about this one? Psalm 37 The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. So it's again this idea of, oh, I just borrowed it, right? I just borrowed it. Well, if you borrowed it and you didn't ask for it, and he's saying here that, that you're stealing, okay? And that was a common practice among unbelievers. So his point is with this use of the word wicked is you identify as an unbeliever if you do this. And since you're God's beloved, you're sending now a double message with respect to who you're, what your identity is. At the same time, he says, that uh, the righteous give generously. So, so part of generosity is that it comes out of gratitude for what God has done for us. And the more that I'm focused on what God has done for me, I cannot help but share generously with those around me. The less I focus on what God has done for me, and I think to myself what I've done for me, then what that breeds is a kind of closed offness in the sense of I better hang on to and protect everything I have because I might lose it if I give it. Right. So you can see where the, the motive for that is still goes back to that sense of, of gratefulness in, in terms of what God has done for us. Okay. Malachi 3, 8 to 12. We often will read this one with respect to uh, tithing. And so we can learn some things from that. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and then test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed 
for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So notice he says the whole tithe. So in the Old Testament, what was the percentage of the tithe? 10%, all right? But here's the key. The 10% is like, that's important, but that's not the really big important thing. The important thing was that it was first fruits. So what's the difference between giving 10% of first fruits as first fruits versus 10% of what's left over? What's the difference? One is an act of faith. Which one is the act of faith? It's the first one. Well, how is that faith? Because you're risking something. That's why it's faith. See, if I'm not risking something, it's not faith. It's just, oh, okay. So what am I risking if I give 10% first fruits of what God has given me? What am I risking? I'm risking that, and the fear would be the 90 may not, right? Oh, something might happen, and I might get wiped out. And if I do, oh, my gosh, that 10 just went off to God. What am I going to do? See, that gives us it gives a, a little sense of fear it plays into the fear of the what if. And when it does, does that add to life or take away from life? Does fear add to life or take away from life? It takes away. See, it takes away. So the idea is, is that as, I, as we think in terms of that as first fruits, and you can decide what first fruits is. After taxes, before taxes, before you pay yourself with your 401k, you know, you can decide all that, right? Because that's all the stuff we sort of deal with today. But it still is the idea that off the top, 10%. Now, is 10% in the Old Testament was commanded? Do we have to do that in the New Testament? No, you can do 15 if you want. You can, right? You can. And that would be a good thing to do, to grow in that, right? Okay, yeah, uh, Martha. Oh, I was just going to say that um, the, the first 10% speaks to most of the things we've talked about today in that it uh, also underlines the commitment to your faith that you are making the commitment to do the right thing with, with your, your tithing, with your commitment when uh, you go into business and sure. you have that risk-taking behavior. You're taking the risk, but you're making this contract with yourself that you're <coughs> doing everything possible to make yeah. that work. Yeah. And, and in, with many of the things that we've talked about, it's that risk and commitment that you're going to do your personal best with the help of God to make things work. Right. Yeah. When you talk about risk... That's how faith is involved because you're putting your life and your livelihood and your well-being into the hands of another. That's what's kind of scary, I think, for a lot of people about marriage. And that's kind of that pressure of marriage that's different, as we talked about in a different commandment about versus living together. If you live together and you're not married, you're not really putting your, your well-being into the hands of the other. If you marry, you are. And that's a bigger deal. That's a bigger deal. That's what we like about it. Okay, very good. Well, guess what? We have to stop. And oh, look at that. We're at the end of the lesson. Amazing. Okay. Awesome stuff today. Great discussion. So Gina, any uh, thoughts about next week? Shall we all pray for Gina this week? That <laughs> I will be praying for Gina on Sunday morning at 945. Yeah. So anyway, thank you for doing that. And looking forward to uh, all the wonderful comments that... Uh, that you'll get uh, uh, on that. So let's uh, close our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the way that your word speaks to us, particularly in this commandment, as it really is all about adding to life versus taking away from life. And because the gift that we have from you is that we are called to be your own. We're, we're, uh, we're your children whom you love. We're beloved that we really get the opportunity and sometimes the challenge of extending that love to others in our day-to-day uh, -day walk. So watch over us this week, dear Lord. Be with us. Be with Gina next week as she's teaching. Be with me as I'm traveling up to the frigid north. And uh, we pray that uh, all those things will work out according to your will. We pray those in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. 
You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.